HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. World Central Kitchen is serving thousands of fresh meals to Ukrainian families fleeing home, as well as people remaining in the country. This week on Let's Talk About Food, host Louisa Kasdan spoke with Henry Patterson about his upcoming relief trip. So you're going to Poland, and I think you told me you're going to be there for at least two weeks. I'm going to Poland to help feed Ukrainian refugees. With Jose Andreas's World Central Kitchen, I decided that's what I wanted to do for my 70th birthday. I leave in just a few days. We all see that what the Russians are doing is contemptible. As a food person, we all love to help. It's in our DNA. And here are people who really need our help. So if you want to help the Ukrainian refugees, either with money or even your hands and heart, find hashtag Chefs for Ukraine and World Central Kitchen. We have to do something. We can help. Remember, hashtag Chefs for Ukraine. This is Gastronomica, a Heritage Radio Network podcast. I'm your host for today, Jacqueline Rowell. This episode is produced in collaboration with Gastronomica, the Journal for Food Studies. Our spring 2022 issue, now available online, features articles on foods on the move, exploring issues of power, authenticity, and emotion. Join us over the next couple of weeks as we talk with authors and subscribe to the Gastronomica feed on your favorite podcast platform to stay updated on our newest episodes. Our guest this week is Satomi Fukutomi, joining us from Ankara, Turkey, where she is an assistant professor in the Asian Studies program at Middle East Technical University. An anthropologist by training, Professor Fukutomi's research focuses on food, consumption, gender, and class. She is the author, most recently, of From Isn't It Raw to Everyday Food, Authenticating Japanese Food in Perth, Australia, available in Gastronomica 22.1. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Hi, Jackie. Thank you for having me. Satomi, let's begin uh, perhaps by sharing uh, some little bit about your background. And can you tell listeners more about your research, general area of research and teaching? Sure. So uh, I'm interested in food, but not uh, specific food, but how food is uh, consumed among 
different kind of people, like ethnic group and class and things. And I'm more uh, interested in popular culture or popular food. So I'm not looking at... um, People think traditional Japanese food, like sushi or other rice, but I'm looking for ramen noodles or uh, something fun to eat. Or people access many people have access to the food, some kind of food. So that, and then uh, I'm look, looking at the food and a popular culture, especially. And then, of course, uh, popular culture includes classes and gender. So that's what I was looking at, and um, also social media. Uh, yes, <laughs> social media That's plays funny. a large role in your in your research as well, right? So this particular article from Isn't It Raw to Everyday Food um, focuses on Perth, Australia. What inspired you to write this article? How did you get to this particular project? Okay, so the first is about the food, and the second I'm going to talk about why Perth. So the first one, uh, I when I was doing my um, PhD dissertation research on ramen noodles in Japan. I talked to consumers, mainly I was focusing on consumers, but I also I, I, I talked to producers or museum curators about ramen noodles. And they all really talk about authenticity of uh, ramen noodles. But they don't say uh, exactly, they don't explain what authenticity is or what makes certain ramen as authentic. But they say, uh, I don't want to eat franchise restaurant because they are not authentic. So the authenticity was not my topic back then, but it was in my mind. And I always, it came up uh, to the conversation when I talked to people over there. So it was back of my mind. And I wanted to study about authenticity later on because the project was not about authenticity. So then, uh, then um, so uh, when we, when I was living in the US or Houston, many people asked me, uh, what is the authentic uh, Japanese food that you eat? Or do you know any authentic Japanese restaurant in Houston? And it was really strange to hear that word because in Japan, no one asks to each other where the authentic restaurants are, which one or what kind of food is authentic Japanese food. So the authenticity, when the food is uh, out of the original context, people start talking about authenticity, the Probably I would ask maybe someone like where is a good authentic Chinese restaurant or some other things. So that was the one thing. So in Japan, it wasn't about ramen, but a particular food. But then the second one was about when uh, I'm out out of Japan, people ask me about authentic Japanese food. So then authenticity, everybody talk about authenticity, but they don't say what it is. And that was the reason. And how foreigners are expecting or looking for authentic authenticity in Japanese food. That was uh, I wanted to. Inter- I was interested in. And going to Perth was actually by chance. I didn't choose to go to Perth. It was my uh, partner's uh, job related move- moving. So we moved to Perth. And I was back then was going to do research on farmers market that I was doing previously. Then uh, one day I went to um, uh, grocery stores to pick up some food. It was a week after I, we arrived in Perth. And I was surprised to see so many Japanese food or restaurant or like well, available in this very small, uh, maybe like 10 minutes walk. I was seeing so many Japanese food. 
And I was thinking, why Perth? There are so much, so many Japanese food, and it's away from the place. And then that made me think to think about Japanese food, and at the same time to combine with this the idea or concept or notion of authenticity of foreign food that is Japanese food in Perth. So that's the reason that I started doing this research. I, I did research that research. And at what point did you start the research?、Um, I'm wondering.、Uh, Perth is is a large city in Western Australia. It's seen rapid population growth、uh, mm-hmm. since the early 2000s, as you know in the article.、Um, mm-hmm. So、uh, when did you start to do the research, and and how did the city change over the course of the research? Okay, so we moved there 2014. I remember. So I started doing the research. Then.、Um, When I saw it, the Jap- many Japanese food, I thought, "Wow, this is interesting." But I talked to people over there, like、uh, Japanese immigrants or local people or other immigrants, say, "Oh, the Japanese food was not that popular like ten years ago, and it became really quite popular because of、uh, recently. Recently means like mid twenty tens." Then I was, I was more like really. Interested into this topic because、uh, so such a short time the Japanese food became so popular, and、uh, of course I did look up the reason probably because、um, the increase increase of Japanese in,、um, residents in Perth, and then、uh, I came to know that many Australians are going to、uh, Japan, especially Hokkaido, the northern part of Japan, for a vacation, and then they. Are also trained in a way or experienced Japanese food in Japan, and that made、uh, this Japanese food really popular. So my, I was looking.、Um, I looked at only the last、um, after Japanese food became popular in Perth. It's a twenty ten, and I, I looked at only a year and a half of the period to do the research. And so, one of the things you write about is the density of Japanese restaurants in the downtown core of Perth. And as you know, it wasn't always this way. This is really a recent phenomenon over the last、um, two decades. Can you describe the restaurants and their menus? Hmm. So mainly, those restaurants, the per center, city center, were sushi, and kind of sushi is a synonymous of Japanese food for many non-Japanese people. So I was seeing sushi and the different versions of sushi rolls in nigiri. That is like. Uh, raw fish to- on the top of the rice, and then、uh, in the packets too, the coffee shop or supermarket, you find pack a pack of sushi. It has a different kind of sushi, like raw raw fish too, of course. And so those are the main things that I've noticed. Then in a、uh, rotary sushi, so there are like a variety of Japanese food, like really focusing on、uh, sushi or casual sushi or. Different kind of、uh, cooking of Japanese food, and then also restaurants are Japanese restaurant or Japanese sushi restaurant. But、uh, many of them are also hybrid of Japanese and other Asians, like Chinese and Korean. Mainly, I think Chinese restaurant. So they are about saying like Japanese food or sushi food restaurant, and then they sign up like that too in the city. And are they primarily、um, fast casual eateries, fine dining? Is there a range? Yes, yes. Like there are casual restaurants to 
rather expensive restaurant too. So yes, of course, from the outside, I didn't know what kind of restaurant each of them were. So I went to uh, online to look up what kind of food they serve or what kind of a price they put. And then uh, gradually I came to know that city center, I see more casual uh, Japanese food than expensive. And if you go to a little bit off the center, you can find expensive uh, Japanese restaurant. So many are, uh, uh, casual restaurants have uh, non-Japanese Probably owners too, non-Japanese owners and then cooks and customers too. But then those uh, expensive restaurants, you see uh, Japanese owners or owner chefs there. And this raises a really, you raise a really, really interesting point, I think, about methods and methodology. So your research focused on the shift in Japanese food as a foreign food to an everyday food in Perth. And you did field work at some restaurants and, and you say how you, you actually commenced that field work by, by, uh, looking at the online reviews, um, to kind of get a sense of the field and scope, um, of restaurants in the city. Can you tell us more about the methodology and what was the fieldwork process like? And in addition to fieldwork, what other methods did you look at and why? Or what other materials did you look at, I should say, and why? Mm-hmm. Okay. The fieldwork. So first, I, ha- I really looked up this uh, online website, uh, food website. I think Zomato is the popular one that you see in Perth. And I looked up in a typed Japanese food. And then uh, try to pick randomly the restaurants. But at the same time, I was looking at um, some restaurants that I, I caught my attention when I'm walking. So I was also paying attention to the doors. So anyway, the first uh, field work was going to the to online website. And then read comments about consumers' comments about restaurants and food and then actually, I was surprised, like many of them use the word authentic when they talk about, but just authentic experiences or authentic Japanese food, but they don't specify what kind. So from there, I picked uh, three restaurants to do research. But I, I went to more than that, but three restaurants, I went there to really try to, to all try uh, food that people are talking about authentic or how it is, or like what kind of um, decoration or presentation the restaurants have, and uh, what kind of uh, clients, uh, what clients' characteristics of clients, what, what kind of people are going there to have those food and what kind of food. And then uh, that's the first one after the online. And then from there, I start to communicating with people through online or email that based on my actual uh, personal experience at those eateries and what they say, and then to communicate and ask um, them various questions. And then later on, I shifted to, um, no, actually not shifted. The Meanwhile, I was also going to a farmer's market. There is a Japanese vendor who sells Japanese food. And how people, because farmer's market, people don't go there to, to experience Japanese food but they go there to do grocery or shopping. And then by the way, they find this Japanese uh, food there. So I just wanted to know how they react to it. or If they think, oh, this is like 
different. We want to try this. Or maybe they, they already know the food there and they're going back to the food. So that's why the online first and then going to eateries or restaurants and then the farmer's market. And then I also interviewed at farmer's market to people who work there and also clients there, the uh, shoppers too. And can you say a little bit more about the farmer's market? I'm curious about uh, the kinds of the foods. Were they prepared foods um, or um, vegetables? Um, uh, what what was that experience like? Okay. So, it's uh, it, of course, farmer's market, they have like their produce. It's like vegetables and product meat and dairy food. But the one, this um, Japanese place that they sell, this the owner is a Japanese lady. And hit her... Australian husband. He was also immigrants from, I think, Europe. But they run this business. And then they sell um, gyoza dumpling. Uh, have you heard about that? Gyoza, it's a Chinese dumplings. And then also noodles. Kind of, to me, it was just a little bit a arranged version of Japanese food. But they are selling, but they are quite popular. And gyoza was... Um, really similar to or very close to what I used to eat in Japan. But the stuffing is uh, slightly different because they have a different, well, in Perth, there are many different uh, ethnic backgrounds people of. So they the ingredient has to be considered to be able to sell to many people. So that, the gyoza dumplings and then sushi, roll sushi. But again, this is a little bit twisted with like mayo, mayonnaise was in it. So, which normally you don't find in Japan. So, it it was a uh, arranged version of Japanese food, yes. But all prepared. And I think it's a packed food and also you can eat there. And your own experience at the market, you would um, go pretty regularly to the to the farmer's market. Did you intend to, to use the farmer's market as a, as a site um, when you first began this research? Um, you had noticed, you mentioned that you... We're planning a larger project on farmers markets. Um, so when you were framing out the research on on the authenticity and authentic- mm-hmm. authentication process of, of Japanese food um, in Perth, did you know that the farmers market was going to be a key site? Right. I was I was really wanted to do research in the in farmers market, not about Japanese food that back then. So uh, there are two farmers market nearby from where close to where I lived, we lived. And so initially I was going to the closest one and it was more kind of a farmers market, but at the same time, there's like a little music group playing the music or some uh, performance. So it was a little bit more like entertainment uh, farmers market. Then um, maybe my neighbor told me, oh, you know, there's another one just a little bit far, which is not that too far, but farther than this one, have a bigger, and then they really bring uh, produces than other things. So you should go. Then I went there and I was really surprised to see uh, so many different uh, variety of food that they serve. Again, the vegetables are not only the vegetables I used to see in Houston, but Asian uh, vegetables that we use normally like commonly used in Japan too, like daikon, white radish and things. So I was quite uh, surprised the variety of food they sell. But anyway, so I was going to the farmer's market and then my focus was the farmer's market as the third place, the how people communicate in the farmer's market, not 
necessarily buying things, but more to uh, establish or build up the relationship with each other. So that was my attention. Then really by chance, I found this Japanese uh, vendor to find it uh, that selling Japanese food. And then I was seeing, oh, I should have mentioned this earlier. So uh, there's always a long line to buy gyoza, a pack of gyoza, Chinese dumplings. The uh, small kids are going there. And just because the price was cheap and it's a small packet, like five pieces of dumplings there. So it's like a lunch slash snacks for kids. And they are quite enjoying the food. So Always there's a long line. And then if I go there slightly later than normal time, then they are all sold out. So quite popular among, um, I don't, uh, they have different uh, vendors, uh, different um, food, uh, prepared food sold, like crepes and hamburgers and sandwiches. But this Japanese restaurant, uh, Japanese vendors was the, to me, uh, I witnessed the most popular one among them. And then normally the first one that sold out their product. Thanks, Satomi. And I, I want to come back to the question about authentication and the process of authentication mm. um, in terms of consumption. Um, so we will come back to that after the break. We're going to take a short break and we'll be back in just a moment. Hi, I'm Katie Mosman-Wadler, Executive Director of HRN. HRN is dedicated to amplifying small businesses that keep our communities vibrant. Today, I'm asking business owners to take part in our business membership drive by supporting HRN's mission with a $500 membership. HRN will shine a light on your work and you'll help sustain our mission to expand the way eaters think about food. As a thank you for this tax-deductible donation, your business will receive on-air mentions, social media posts, listings on our website, and more. You'll also play an essential role in keeping nonprofit food radio on the air. Go to heritageradionetwork.org biz to become a business member today. That's heritageradionetwork.org B-I-Z. Thank you for your support. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. 
And we're back. This is Gastronomica on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jacqueline Robel talking with Satomi Fukutomi about her article from Isn't It Raw to Everyday Food, Authenticating Japanese Food in Perth, Australia, now available in issue 22.1 of Gastronomica, the journal for food studies. How did you get to the title of the, of this article? Um, the title of the article. How did, how did you get to the title of the article? Isn't it raw? How did that, um, question feature into your research? That's right. So, like, uh, we are talking about, I mentioned that Japanese food was that, not that popular until 2010 or something like that. So, people, the, a couple of people told me sushi wasn't popular because the fish, the sushi, the ingredient of sushi is raw fish. And people didn't want to eat that. And then um, more than a couple of people told me about this like raw fish issue or um, dislikeness of raw fish or like maybe worried about some diseases and things. So anyway, this uh, vendor in the farmer's market, the owner, she told me, oh, you." I say one day I had a conversation like, oh, you're sitting really good. And she said, oh, but 10 years ago it wasn't because everybody thought like, if you say sushi and everybody said, oh, but isn't it raw? So they didn't want to eat it or they have a concern of eating raw fish. And that was the the common uh, reaction among Perth people towards sushi back then. But a very short time, really, the sushi became popular that uh, I see uh, business people just holding sushi rolls on the street or long line for sushi lunchbox uh, in uh, in in business district, and I was quite surprised. Like what I saw back there was sushi was almost like everyday food for them, but then only a short time before, like ten years ago, it, ten years prior to that, was not a popular food, and they didn't even want to try some people. So that was the. How how quickly really Japanese food became popular in Perth was really a surprise to me. And this is really connected to the process of authentication, mm-hmm. um, which is really the focus of the article. Right. And you had set out you you had set out to study auth- this process um, upon commencing the research. Did your view on authenticity change as the study evolved? Um, what did your study reveal specifically about about authenticity? Hmm. Right. So there are two, I think, two different kind of Japanese food, authentic Japanese food and everyday Japanese food. So by looking, talking to people or also looking at this online reviews, uh, restaurant reviews, food reviews, and people talk about one thing, authentic Japanese food, which is... There are different ways to explain. Well, let me say that then. Um, so it's not about food, but it's talking about chef. They're talking about chef has to be Japanese or uh, has to be organic food or you some kind of based on experiences in Japan. So it's not like one thing to say what authentic Japanese food is, but they create this store, uh, authentic Japanese food through stories. But then when they talk about when they want to eat sushi, uh, they want to eat something Japanese food, they just go to a supermarket or take out. And they don't have to be authentic. So in people's mind, there are authentic Japanese food 
and not authentic Japanese food. And they are kind of uh, uh, eating depending on what they want to eat of the, uh, the based on their um, situation or like economic situation, if time shortage and they want to just grab healthy food, that is Japanese food, but not authentic food. And then, um, okay, I, I'm kind of off. So yes, and then uh, authentic people talk about authentic food and normally the first thing they say, they mention is Japanese chef or Japanese cook or Japanese even language. Is this an example of authenticating? Because I notice you use authenticate as a verb, right? Which connotes an action or a process or the, the kind of the power to consecrate taste in a certain way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Because he, even here, I'm, I was questioned, like, uh, there's no good Japanese restaurant and there's no ja- Japanese chef there. So we can't have an authentic Japanese food. And I was thinking like, wow, chef is really important. But then again, it's not about chef, but idea of Japanese chef. So because you cannot tell if the uh, many of my respondents say, oh, they don't know if they cannot tell if chefs are Japanese or Korean or Chinese. They they look like Japanese. So therefore, they assume they are Japanese. But then one day, uh, one res- um, respondent said like, Oh, I don't want to eat. I, I, no, she said, I, once I ate Japanese food made by, made by a Korean chef, it wasn't good. And I even asked, like, do you, can you tell Korean from Japanese people? And she said, no. But this, this idea of uh, Japanese ethnicity or Japanese people making is quite important for authenticating, for consumers to authenticate, to ju- authenticate certain food. Yes. And so you talk about in, in the article, and, I, and I'm really interested in this, um, authenticity as a social construct, but then you're also really drawing out the important role that individual stories play mm-hmm. in the process of authenticating food mm-hmm. um, and, and consecrating food as authentic. So storytelling really becomes an important way that people connect themselves to authenticity um, mm-hmm. in, in your view. And how do consumers, how did you find that consumers told stories about food? Generally speaking, who were the storytellers and, and who were they speaking to as they created the stories? Uh, I So from online, I don't know what their background is, but purely consumers, but I was looking on, well, it's hard to say, maybe a restaurant employees may be responding to the those uh, comment on the food review and online comments, but consumers creating a really story about their own because uh, one person said she she thinks this authentic Japanese food is what I believe to be authentic. So it's not about anything uh, general, but what she believes. And where she gets those ideas is or from TV or media is, and then mainly a lot from uh, online reviews. And yeah, that's, uh, yes, that's what it is. Can you, um, in the course of doing the research and, and reading through these stories or narratives within popular culture, within the online re- online reviews, within your mm-hmm. field work, uh, at the restaurants, at the eateries, at the, at the farmer's market, were there any, was there anything that surprised you? Um, were there any surprises? 
that you that you came across or kind of interesting threads potentially for future research? Yes, actually future research because I'm looking at the foreign food among Japanese experts in Turkey and how they see foreign food connected to their home food. And again, uh, authenticity is uh, there, but the different way, because um, um, how to describe this? If you're a for, uh, foreigner and then the food is not your food that you didn't grow up with, so it's something you have to learn to like it. But when you are out of country, the food, foreign food when you were in Japan, becomes sort of, uh, I don't say soul food, but sort of uh, the home food. And then they talk about, again, not the word authenticity, but some kind of uh, home, how do you say, home food or mother, not mother's food, the real food. Or let's say, um, for example, kimchi. It's a Korean pickles and very popular among uh, Japanese people in Japan. But then also in Turkey, Kimchi is popular among Japanese people, more than Japanese pickles. And I tried to find out how uh, they see this falling slash Japanese food when they are not in Japan. And how they authenticate the certain foreign food that they used to grow to eat in Japan is in Turkey. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm clearly explaining that. No, I mean, this is this is really fascinating. So this is your next project. Yes. And will it focus on, um, you, your work looks at popular culture. Right. Will you focus on the domestic space, on on uh, restaurant spaces, on both with, within that new work? Uh, no, just like, yes, the domestic more and a grocery store, but not the restaurants. So I'm more mm-hmm. trying to look at uh, how people have a connection to this falling food but linked to their home country. Mm-hmm. And before we wrap up, I just wanted to ask if there's anything more that you'd like to add about uh, about your research, about the article um, that we haven't talked about. We've just really talked about a preview of the piece. The full piece is available um, on the mm-hmm. UC Press website uh, through Gastronomica. But is there anything more that you'd like to add before we wrap up? People talk about, consumers talked about food, about authenticity of Japanese food are always sushi-oriented. But then when they talk about their favorite food is not sushi at all, all kind of uh, not traditional Japanese food, uh, okay, quote, quote, not traditional Japanese food, like fried chicken or curry soup or s- something else, not sushi. But this I should have mentioned, I'm sorry. So the authenticity is really when they talk about sushi or like raw fish, it is about authenticity. But when they talk about their favorite everyday, favorite Japanese food, the authenticity, it doesn't matter. It's not the point. So authenticity, they have different uh, categories or different plays in their mind about Japanese food. Probably I mentioned that earlier, like, authentic Japanese food and everyday Japanese food. So the everyday Japanese food, authenticity is not important. But not everyday Japanese food, it is important. So And then you, you read review of uh, other consumers about authentic Japanese food and you learn it. And well, it's, it's up to 
uh, readers if they want to take the comment or, or reaction to those foods. But you get the idea what authentic food is. So that also, I think,、uh, make readers or consumers to think about what authentic Japanese food is. And then kind of layering this it, different people's authenticity about authentic idea of authenticity about Japanese food are layered into different people's ideas. So you have sort of like back off authentic, layered authenticity information about Japanese food. That was quite um, uh, um, amazing and interesting. And then one thing I was、uh, surprised was they never mentioned.、Uh, One particular food that I thought was quite、uh, Japanese but never be mentioned in any of the review was tofu. And tofu was not a bean, soybean product, it's like a pudding kind of like flat,、um, soft、um, food. But it was never be mentioned in any review, really any review. And then、uh, I didn't find those in the menu except one restaurant that was a little bit high. And a little bit expensive restaurant, they sell tofu. But then、uh, it wasn't、um, any, I was surprised that I, I could find it there. But no one mentioned of that. And one more thing、um, is about authenticity, it's really an individual perception, like I say. So one person talks about the particular Japanese、uh, sushi in my restaurant, one restaurant. And how it is good. And the next person reacted,、uh, respond to the same food, the same restaurant, say, oh, it's just nothing special.、Um, I would rather go to another place and pay this money. So it is like about exactly the same food and say, served at the same restaurant, but different people have a different idea. And one thing is authentic, and another thing is just nothing more than regular Japanese food. That was really、um, interesting to me. To find out. Interesting. Yes. And I'm, I, there, there's so much there. I'm, I'm interested. I'm really interested that,、uh, in your example about the tofu because that was one of the questions、um, that I was wondering upon reading this was, was there any noticeable absence or were, were there any silences, you know, aspects of Japanese food or dishes or histories that were not. Communicated in the stories or that struck、mm-hmm. you as interesting omissions.、Um, so, so tofu was, was one of them.、Mm-hmm. And then I think just to emphasize,、um, as, you, as you say, the ways in which the stories diverge in interesting ways、mm-hmm. um, and, and um, perhaps overlap, but also diverge at the same spaces and, and in the same moments.、Um, so, Thank you. Thank you, Satomi, for joining us.、Um, listeners can read the full article in Gastronomica, the Journal for Food Studies 22.1. For more details, visit gastronomica.org. Join us next week as we talk with Sarah El Sayed and Christy Spackman about their new article on fermented foods, regulation, and inclusive food governance in Arizona. And for listeners who'd like to keep receiving Gastronomica's newest episodes, please subscribe to the Gastronomica feed on your favorite podcast platform.